Welcome everyone to episode one of the Vocal Vault podcast. I'm your host, Emily Johnson, and we will be releasing weekly episodes every single Wednesday. I envision this podcast to create a safe space for people to share their vulnerabilities, hardships, passions, and so much more. To me, a vault symbolizes security and safety, and that is the environment that I am trying to embody with this podcast, hence the name The Vocal Vault. I was actually going through a couple hardships of my own back in April of this year and decided that a podcast was something that I really wanted to create because I had just started listening to podcasts and different episodes and more so along the lines of motivational podcasts and I felt such a sense of community when I was listening to those that I wanted to create something like that and share that with the world. So we're doing it. We're here. We are recording episode one and if you're listening that means that we have officially launched and released this podcast and that just feels so crazy to say. It feels so good but I just, I can't believe that we're here. And I'm so grateful because I have had such an amazing support system along the way. And all of you that are listening and um, all of you that have supported me along the way, thank you. I could not have done this without you. I have doubted myself so many times in this and thinking, you know, who wants to listen to me talk for 40 plus minutes straight? But I am going to have faith in it. And I just feel really excited for what's to come and I have so many exciting things planned for this podcast so I hope that you can take something away from this and um, you know that you'll follow along throughout this journey because it will be a journey. This is my first time doing anything like this, anything um, kind of creatively I guess. Having this creative outlet is very new for me and it feels great so I am excited that you're here and that you're listening along. So this episode is just going to be me. In the future, I will be having um, guests on every week, and we will be doing interview style, um, just some conversational episodes, and maybe some recaps. We'll see. There's a lot going on behind the scenes here that I have up my sleeve, so I guess you'll just have to tune in every week and listen along, Um, but To tell you a little bit about me, I, again, my name's Emily, I'm 25 years old, and I am from Minneapolis, Minnesota. I currently live in Minneapolis right now, and I love it. Um, If I were to choose between St. Paul and Minneapolis, I would probably go Minneapolis, I I don't know. That's hard to say because I work in St. Paul and I love St. Paul, but I just, I'm, I don't know. I'm a Minneapolis girl through and through. So don't come for me. Um, I was born and raised in Roseville, went to Roseville high school. Um, I went to the university of Minnesota, which I will dive in a little bit deeper on that experience, um, in this episode. Uh, I also have two amazing parents, who have been married for 34 years, I think, which is just insane, but it's very inspirational to me. And I have three older brothers, which I have to say I loved growing up with three older brothers. I, you know, not to say that 
I didn't want sisters, but I guess I never really did. I never had that like want in my life when I was younger that where I was like, I, I wish I had sisters. I wish I had an older sister. I just felt like, I mean, I have to say it's nice being the youngest and being the only girl. It's, you are kind of treated like a princess and it was pretty cool growing up. <laughs> I'm sure my brothers loved that, but no, they're all great. I love them all so much. And I have a few nieces and nephews and I have two sister-in-laws. So I did kind of get my sisters in a sense. Um, and I just have a really close core group of girlfriends in my life that have been there for, gosh, two of my friends. We've been friends since we were four. And I think it's so rare to have friendships that last that long and to be able to maintain them. And I will say, you know, it has not been easy the whole time. We've had our ups and downs, of course, but we really are like a family when it comes to me and my girlfriends. Um, and I'm so grateful for them. I also have a dog named Chandler and he is the freaking apple of my eye. (laughs) I love him so much. I'm I'm trying to talk kind of quiet right now because if he hears his name, he will wake up and I can only record when he's sleeping. So if you hear any clickety clacks later on, that's probably from his little paws. Um, But yeah, Chandler is, I believe he's a boxer lab mix. He's a rescue from Safe Hands. Uh, I got him about two and a half years ago. He's about two and a half now, so that sounds about right. Um, his name was already Chandler, which was perfect, and I have to say was probably about 50% of the reason I was attracted to him is because, fun fact, Friends is my favorite TV show of all time. So even when I was on the search for a dog, I kept thinking like, God, I would love to name my dog like Phoebe or Joey or Chandler. And I come across Chandler and his cute little stinking face on this website. And I I had to do it. If you want to see what Chandler looks like, quick plug, just check out Vocal Vault podcast on Instagram. Give us a follow. I'm sure there will be plenty of Chandler content for you there. Um, But no, he's been great. I love him. And I'm just so grateful to have him in my life. (laughs) I'm such a dog person and it just was right for me to have my own dog. Uh, I also am a manager at a local women's clothing boutique in St. Paul and I love it. I absolutely love fashion. It is my passion and I don't plan on ever working in any other field. Fashion is it for me and I also kind of realized that I could go into a career in fashion by watching friends too. So I'm sorry. I will make a lot of friends reference. Just, you know, if, if it annoys you, maybe skip past it. I don't know. It's going to happen and I'm sorry. But moving on, I wanted to start this podcast with setting the tone and sharing my vulnerabilities and my story Um, And for me, my vulnerabilities really started around the time that I started college. 
College scared the crap out of me. I remember my senior year of high school and anytime college was brought up, anytime my friends were starting to talk about colleges they got into or that I was applying to colleges and I was, you know, figuring out where I wanted to go and what I was going to be doing a year from then, I just had this pit in my stomach. And I do think that that was, you know, maybe my intuition or my gut telling me I wasn't necessarily ready, but I, being the strong-headed person that I am, was not willing to accept that I wasn't ready to go to college because everyone else in my life or close to me was, and that's what they were doing. So I ended up going to the University of Minnesota, and I was set to live with my best friend at the time. So we were going to be college roommates, and, you know, as we got closer and closer to college, I was getting more and more nervous, and my brother, who is one of the closest people to me in my life, uh, he went to rehab the summer before I started college, and that definitely made it a little bit tougher for me to leave home. Um, And I would say that around this time is where I started my struggles with mental illness. So I started college and I had such a hard time adjusting. I wasn't going to all of my classes. I was that girl that cried all the time. I remember I was sitting in my classes the first week and I would, I was purposely sit in the back so that I could like keep my head down and cry and I, w- I swear, I was the only person <laughs> in these classes who looked as miserable as I did. And it, I just, it wasn't because I wasn't enjoying what I signed up for or any of that. I just, I truly was not ready for the change in my life. But I am someone, I am my biggest critic and I'm very hard on myself. And I was not going to let myself take the quote unquote easy way out by not going Um, I don't believe that that is an easy way out anymore, but at that time, I did. I felt like I was just trying to skip college and be like, oh, you know, I will take a semester off or I'll take a year off and then I'll go. And I never wanted to do that. So I told myself, you're going to go and you're going to do this. And I pushed it too far because I struggled a lot and I was not able to adjust um, very easily I had my mom pick me up every Friday on her way home from work and I would stay at my parents every weekend and then she would drop me off every Sunday. And every Sunday when she dropped me off, I would just bawl. I did not want to go back and I was just in, I just felt very fragile. I, that's the best way I can put it. I just felt like I always had a lump in my throat and like I could cry at any minute. And I remember being at Target one day with my mom and she said something to me that really resonated with me because I didn't realize that others could see how much I was struggling. And she said to me, I haven't seen you smile in so long. And that hit me because anyone who knows me now knows that I'm a very smiley person. So to, and I always have been. So to hear that at that time, 
and be like, wow. Because, you know, I didn't even recognize that. Like, I, I had no idea how others were perceiving me at that time in my life because I had no idea how I came off. I really tried to be this strong individual, but I was struggling and I, it definitely showed. Um, you know, my mom is someone that's very close to me and so is my dad and they both saw the struggles that I was going through. And I ended up just taking it so far to the point where I failed out of two classes because I could not get myself out of bed to even go to class. And I saw everyone around me who was just thriving and just seemed to be doing so well. And and I know that that's not always the case. I know that some people can come off like they're doing well, but you know, internally they're struggling. I've always been an external struggler, <laughs> if that's even a, a term, um, internal and external, where I can't hide my emotions. I wear my heart on my sleeve, my emotions on my sleeve. You always know how I'm feeling. So to see others seem like they were thriving and doing well just made it a lot harder for myself to where I just felt like, a failure in a sense to where I wasn't doing what I was supposed to be doing. I wasn't feeling how I was supposed to be feeling and I wasn't um, going to these classes and I wasn't engulfing myself in the entire college experience. Quick interruption to introduce to you Sather Audio. Sather Audio created my intro music for this podcast and is my producer for this podcast. Andy Bjork is the man behind the scenes, and he knows how to do all the things, whether that has to do with a podcast theme, editing, production, mixing in any form. He is your guy. You can find him at Sather Audio on Instagram. That's S-A-T-H-E-R Audio on Instagram. I was doing the least amount possible and then going home every weekend. So as the semester went on, I decided to take a the next semester off. I started seeing a therapist during that semester off. And, you know, no shame in seeing a therapist that is the opposite gender of you. But for me, that, that didn't work. I saw a man who was like, you know, probably like well into his 60s. And I was very young at the time and naive. And anything I talked about in therapy was so surface level. Um, I was talking about, you know, I did talk a lot about my brother and, you know, his struggles and how um, I was struggling with his struggles. And I talked a lot about my like recent breakup at the time, like just very surface level things to where we weren't really touching on the fact that I, when I later came to find out, was dealing with depression. Eventually, he was able to kind of talk me through some situations and realize I did have depression. He called it episodic depression just based off of 
circumstances in my life based off the fact that I was just struggling with change and starting a new school and that someone very near and dear to my heart was struggling um, and that I hadn't seen them in a few months and that I was also going through a breakup. So he kind of narrowed it down to episodic depression, which um, typically means that that doesn't last long term. That That's typically something that when these situations in your life are wreaking havoc, when those situations dissipate, you will start to feel better. So I thought, and I, and I did in a sense, um, but I, I think the thing that helped me the most during this time in my life is that I started training for a marathon. My oldest brother, Chris, reached out to me and he sent me a text one day. I still don't know why, um, but he sent me a text and asked if I wanted to run the Twin Cities Marathon with him. And I just said, hey, why not? I I am taking the semester off of school right now. I have all the time in the world. I was working at um, a tanning salon, very part-time at the time, and what, what did I have to lose was basically how I felt. So I did it. And we trained for about four months, four months. Yeah. And that was so pivotal for me in my life because with how I was struggling in my mental health and just feeling like a failure, just feeling a lot of shame, I was able to build back some confidence by training for this marathon with my brother and feeling like I could amount to something again and feeling like I had something that I was working toward, an accomplishment, a major feat that a lot of people have not done. And that really helped me mentally because I was able to get to a point of being like, okay, you can do this. You can get through these difficult things. Granted, this was a physical feat for me, but I think, um, you know, most athletes will say and will agree that a lot of the physical feats that you um, go through are actually more mental things that you are overcoming. Um, You know, that mental feeling, and I cannot run one more mile but knowing physically that you can. And that was huge in kind of creating that mind-body connection for me and feeling like, you know, maybe my mind is telling me that seems too hard and that seems like that's not going to work. But my body was telling me, girl, you got it. You can do this. You can run 26.2 miles. You got this. And we did it. It helped so much in just my confidence and just feeling like I could tackle anything. So while we were training, I it was over the summer, and I, I made the decision to go back to school. And I just felt so much clearer the second time around, going back and just feeling like I was ready, like I had the resources that I needed I for my mental health, felt so much better. And I decided to go back. And at that point, I had a clear idea of what I wanted to major in. And I had chosen fashion merchandising. And while I went to school for fashion merchandising and started the program, I 
also had the idea to start a job in fashion. So I applied at a women's clothing boutique and I got a job in fashion. And as I worked there for a couple years and was also in school, I was able to work my way up with them. And I was offered a management position with them when I was about 22 years old. And I was still in school at the time. Gosh, not 22. I was probably about 21 then. I was still in school at the time. And they offered me a management role. And I decided to take the experience route over the education, which was definitely a leap for me. It was it was tough because I still only had about a year left of schooling to finish. But for me, I was being offered this amazing opportunity that I did not want to pass up on. And I felt like, to me, I, I do believe in fate and I do believe in things happening for a reason. And I felt like this was happening for a reason. And I'm so glad that I took that leap and I did it. And I went for the management role and I loved it. I ended up hitting kind of a fork in the road where I wasn't sure if fashion and if management, if retail was what I wanted to do with my life. So that was a little bit of a struggle for me. I started to feel like I was resenting the role that I was in because, again, I was so young and I felt like I was at a peak in that career specifically where I was like, how much more can I grow from this? What else can I do with this? And just feeling like I needed to amount to more. I needed to do something that was more um, traditional. So I was working retail where it's like, you know, your hours are all over the place. And I was starting to think like, gosh, shouldn't I be working a nine to five Monday through Friday job? The social norms were starting to kind of seep into how I felt about what I was doing. And I started to second guess everything. I wasn't sure if I wanted to stay where I was or if I needed to start looking for something a little bit more traditional. And I got in my head and started looking for a more traditional role. And I found one. That job did not make me happy. And a lot of other jobs following that one did not make me happy. So I went about two years in trying to find a role that made me feel good and like I had a purpose and like I was doing something good again. But ever since I had left that job, the one as a manager, I was not finding anything that made me feel as happy and as fulfilled. Um, And so it all kind of came full circle. Within the two years that I had left that job, I took on so many different roles. A recruiting role, I was an assistant teacher, I was a lead stylist. I did so many different things. Um, I did the nine to fives, I did the desk jobs, I did, I was in a receptionist. I tried everything. And all of them, I ended up comparing to the job that I left to try something more traditional. And finally, after about two years, I was like, the fact that I'm still comparing every single job that I have to this previous role that I've been detached from for two years now spoke volumes. It told me that 
you know, I, I understood why I left and I will say I'm glad I did because if I hadn't left that company when I did, I think I would have built up a lot more resentment and I would be miserable now. Whereas I took those two years and I went down so many different paths and tried so many different things. And I realized that yes, fashion is what I want to do and management is what I want to do. And I'm so happy that I found that, but it did take me quite a while. It I went all over the place and it was hard because I just remember feeling like I was just job hopping and I felt like such a just not, I felt so non-committal to everything I was doing. The fact that I would work at a job for a couple months and leave and then find a new job and leave. And, um, you know, people on social media could see that I was leaving these jobs. And I just started really getting in my head and feeling like I need to settle down. And that's not necessarily the case. Your career is your career and you do whatever you want to do with it. Excuse the interruption, but I just had to shout out my girl, Olivia Garner. She is the mastermind behind my logo for the podcast and a lot of my content creation. I found Olivia through another podcast that I listened to, and she made the design process so seamless. I was so grateful to be able to work with someone like her throughout this entire thing because, again, this is my first time ever doing anything like this, and she made it just feel so easy. If you have any graphic design needs of your own, she has her own website, oliviagarnerdesigns.com, or you can visit her at oliviagarnerdesigns on Instagram. I knew how I wanted to feel in my career, but I wasn't totally sure what was going to make me feel that way. I had already had that feeling at that boutique that I managed, but I didn't trust the feeling yet. I felt like it was too good to be true. I was too young to be so secure in what I was doing. And so I took those two years and I tried other ventures and I went down so many different paths to come full circle and now I am back managing that same women's clothing boutique and I am so grateful for it. And I'm so grateful again to have gone through what I did and to take the time to figure out is this really what I want to do? And now at this point in my life at 25 years old for my foreseeable future, I know that this is what I want to do. And that feels really good. It feels really good to like be where you know you want to be and to just really hone in on it. And it's something that I've grown to be better at. Um, I've grown to be better as a leader and to be, um, you know, more fashionable and to understand the ins and outs of it a little bit better as I've gone through this journey last two years. And now to kind of move in another direction, my dad has been sick for about the last five, four years. Um, I first realized he was sick when I was moving out of my parents' house. And I struggled a lot with that because I felt like I was kind of just leaving them high and dry and I just carried a lot of guilt and feeling like I was leaving at such a bad time. 
my dad had kidney and liver failure. Um, and basically he was hospitalized about two weeks after I moved out. He was in and out of the hospital for months on end, months and months and months. God, I would say years. I mean, even over the past four years, I think the longest stint that he had at home without being hospitalized was like maybe four or five months, maybe. And that's being generous. Um, he would just be in the hospital due to diff- or, um, complications with his organ failures and it was tough. It was hard to see how it affected my whole family and we are a pretty close-knit family and we all struggled with it in different ways. But ultimately, we were all there for each other and um, always had each other to lead on. Thankfully, this past April, my dad got the call that there was a liver and kidney available for him. So he had a double transplant surgery back in April, which was so amazing and such a blessing, but it was also very scary at the same time. A double transplant surgery, let alone a single transplant surgery, is no joke. Um, It's a very serious surgery many complications can arise from it. And so I remember just feeling so nervous about this. And we were so lucky that his body did not reject these organs. And he seems to be on the mend now. And um, we're in recovery mode. He, you know, he's getting stronger and stronger every day. He still has his complications. But He's here, he's safe, and I think I can speak for myself and my family in saying that we are so grateful. And we are so grateful for all of you who have been there to just support my family through this or to support myself, to support my dad, any of us. We are so grateful. And I'm so, so grateful for United Hospital and St. Paul and how they treated my dad and the care that they gave my dad was just amazing. And we would not have gotten to where we are today without United Hospital and without all all the people who have supported us along the way. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I do believe that my dad getting sick triggered some anxiety for me in my life. Since I wasn't there to see him every day and to know exactly how he was doing, my thoughts went haywire. They were all over the place. I never really knew like how good things were looking or how bad things were looking. And I remember my anxiety specifically started to get really bad at night where before I would go to bed, I would get this really, really anxious feeling. And, um... I have a therapist now who I see and she is just fantastic and she actually kind of taught me something that I didn't know, but everyone feels anxiety a little bit differently um, in a physical sense. So for me, when I'm, whenever I'm anxious, I feel it in my stomach and I feel it in my gut. So my stomach will get really anxious. I'll kind of sit there. I can't really eat. And I remember starting to get that feeling when my dad was first sick because I would go to bed and I just remember thinking like, 
this it was all so new to me. I had never really had anyone in my life who had been sick in that way. And there wasn't really any promises from any doctors on whether he was going to get better or, you know, how things were going to play out. So I would go to bed at night just so anxious because I wasn't sure if my dad was going to be there in the morning. And I struggled a lot with that. It took me a while to get to a point where I recognized, okay, it's it's okay. And what's going to happen will happen. And, you know, keep the faith and keep the prayers coming and the blessings. And I was able to kind of get to the other side of that. But I do think that that's where my anxiety that I have today really stemmed from. Um, and even as I've gotten older now, I don't deal as much with depression anymore. Now, anxiety is kind of my MO, I guess. (laughs) Not to be proud of that or anything, but anxiety has kind of come in and out of my life over the past few years where there'll be times where I feel like I really deal with it on a higher scale than others. And I think since this past spring, it's been a lot more prominent in my life. I had, you know, just some relationship things and just other things going on in my life that I'm sure I will touch on as this podcast continues to progress, but for now, I'll just kind of leave it at that. I started this past spring to just get so anxious, and I remember I would wake up before my alarm every single day, and I would be just nauseous immediately in the morning. And, you know, I, I, I am someone where I do struggle with like stomach issues. Like I, I, I just, I typically am either like nauseous or I'm hungry. Like there's kind of no in between, which is not great, but I've learned to kind of deal with it and what triggers what. And anyways, I, you know, at first I kept thinking like, gosh, is my stomach upset? And then I was like, no, I am, I'm nauseous right now because I'm so anxious. And I started to learn that it was because my cortisol levels were so high. And if you are not sure what your cortisol level is, that's essentially your stress level. So my stress levels were so high that it was causing me to be nauseous. And Maybe this is a little TMI, but I would, I started gagging every morning and I couldn't help it. Like I would just wake up in the morning and like the first hour that I was awake, I couldn't even, I couldn't drink coffee for weeks. I would just gag and gag and gag. And I wasn't sure, like I wasn't sure what was going on. And I knew it was because I was so anxious but I was hoping that it was just situational based off of what I was going through at the time. And after a few weeks of this happening every day, I lost about like 10 pounds in two weeks. And that's, to, I, I would never be proud of that. I, and I hope that, I know that a lot of us deal with, you know, body image and all these things, but losing 10 pounds in two weeks due to your stress levels is never something to be proud about. And it's not sustainable. 
And if anything, it made me nervous. It did not make me feel good. I knew I needed to go to the doctor. So I did. And I told her kind of what was going on. And she basically just said, you have moderate anxiety. So with depression, I had like a mild version of depression with anxiety. She told me that I have a moderate version of anxiety, which means that you're kind of like the middle of the road with it. It's not severe, but it's not mild. But it, it essentially moderate means it actually affects your day-to-day living. And it was. It was really affecting my living um, and how I was doing every day. I mean, waking up and feeling that way does not typically set the tone for a good day. So I was struggling a lot and I have to say I am proud of myself for going to the doctor and saying, hey, I noticed something is not right and I'm not feeling well and I know I've just gone through something that is probably triggering this, but I don't want to let that define how I live my life. I want to kind of grab the bull by the horns right now and get ahead of it and fix it and... um, So I'm glad I did because that is where I really found out like, yes, I do have anxiety and um, I'm very, uh, very high functioning anxiety. It is very present in my life, especially now. Um, For me, anxiety has been more of a motivator than anything else where I feel like it doesn't cause me to shut down. It causes me to be more productive and to get more done and just be even more on my game, which is a good thing. But at the same time, being anxious all the time is not good. So I'm still kind of in the midst of figuring that out and kind of getting to that equilibrium point of just feeling solid and good. And I have an amazing therapist who has been helping me through that. And it's been awesome. So I feel like I'm at a really good spot in figuring out my mental health and just staying on top of it. And I'm doing well. You know, I think I've kind of come full circle with everything. And yes, I still deal with my anxiety, but... And I still have all these other outlying factors in my life that can be tough. But overall, I'm I'm happy and I'm figuring it out as I go, you know. And anxiety does not rule my life anymore. I have definitely ruled it. And that feels really good. One other thing and probably a last note that I really wanted to touch on today is alcoholism. Alcoholism is something that has run in my family and it is something that I think I've kind of dealt with in a sense myself. I have considered myself sober curious for a while now in the sense of alcohol doesn't run my life, but my why behind why I drink doesn't feel right. It doesn't feel like when I'm drinking, I'm doing it to have a good time and I'm hanging out with the girls or whatever. When I have drank in the past, it's typically due to stressors in my life or I'm feeling sad or I'm feeling insecure. And that is the thing that's alarmed me the most. 
and something that I've started to really work on. I do still drink alcohol occasionally. I will say it is at the forefront of my mind now. When I am going to pick up a bottle of wine or if I'm choosing to order at dinner, I'm very conscious about why I'm ordering this glass of wine or why am I getting this bottle of wine right now? Because my biggest issue has been my why behind the drinking. It's not because I am dependent on it or any of these things. It's because a lot of times I found myself doing it to give myself an extra boost of confidence or to feel like I am more talkative or conversational or approachable and That is not a good reason to drink and especially for myself and knowing my family history and just wanting to be careful and aware, that is something that I've been very aware of and have come to be on the sober curious spectrum. So I'm very aware of like when I drink and my why for it. So That's something I really wanted to touch on because I feel like alcoholism has such a stigma and I think a lot of people picture alcoholics and, you know, a lot of time you picture this image of a guy on the side of the street with a brown paper bag and that's not always what it looks like. I would beg to differ that there are more people in your life who struggle with this than you realize. Um, And maybe you are someone that deals with this. Maybe you're not. Maybe you know someone who does. But I think something that's really important for all of us is to have a little bit more grace and to not be so judgmental when people do deal with this because it is a disease It does run in your blood and it is not something that you always can control. And I think that we as humans need to have a little bit more grace for each other in this sense Um, and not always playing the blame game and saying, well, you chose this or you chose that because that's not always the case. A lot of times you have this vision for yourself set up and you might end up on a different path and that's okay. I think making sure that you are self-aware enough to get back to the path that you want to be on is what's important. And that's kind of what's gotten me through this. And, um, you know, I don't necessarily struggle with alcoholism. It's just something that I'm aware of in my life. And I am aware of how it's affected people in my family. And I'm hyper aware of how it affects me and my why behind when I do it. So, I really wanted to kind of touch and end on that because I do think that that is so important for people to just have more grace and to be more open to having those conversations with your family members or your friends. And if you see anyone struggling, to try not to judge. Try to have more grace and more patience for those in your life who are struggling And, you know, sometimes it helps to do a little bit of research if you are someone who knows someone who's struggling. Um, And this is an open space. If you or anyone you know feels like 
they need someone to reach out to or talk to, I'm always here. And I, I don't know the answers, but I'm always open to talk and to just have those conversations. With that being said, I think we're going to wrap it up here. Thank you guys so much for listening today and for tuning in. If you were able to resonate or take anything away or you just enjoyed the episode, please rate and subscribe. Follow us on Apple Podcasts. Subscribe on Spotify. We are on all podcast streaming services. Um, Written reviews are also very helpful for algorithms and all the things. Share this to your page if this is something that you want to share with your friends and family. Um, And again, just follow us every Wednesday. Next week, we're going to have a very special guest. My neighbor, my dear friend, Rob Lauer, is going to be on the podcast. And we have such a great conversation about, you know, our purpose in life and our views on ourselves and all the things. It's a really great conversation. So make sure that you tune in next Wednesday and make sure to give us a follow at Vocal Vault Podcast on Instagram. And we'll see you next week. Bye, everyone.